it's a tremendous blessing to see God's people serving him, whether they're seven or 70 years old. It is an absolute blessing. Thank you, Selene. At this time, we're going to ask all of our children ages 5 to 11 to please head towards the back and find their teachers. And also our youth ages 12 to 14 can also head towards the back as their teachers are awaiting them as we're going to share the gospel with them on their level. As we've heard several times this morning, today is the first Friday of 2013. And so Christmas has come and gone, and New Year's Day has come and gone. And I watched on TV in Dubai. Now, heaven forbid actually going to Dubai for New Year's Eve. I can't even imagine the traffic on, on getting out of there. But it was quite impressive to see. And I thought, this is a Middle East country? Like, it was just kind of weird just watching, you know, the show. And if you missed it, I encourage you to watch it next year. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, but... You know, for me, when I think about the holidays, and again, Christmas comes, and with it, the festivities, and the decorating, and, and, the, and the candy, and the eating, and the presents, and all the ways that we, we celebrate it, and then you have New Year, and, and the fireworks display, and, and we're excited to inaugurate a brand new year, 2013 is upon us, and I'm sure there's a few of you in the room that are glad it's over. I'm sure you're thinking, man, that was a lot of work, that was very expensive, or I wish I were home, but I'm not, and so I'm just glad that's behind me. But I'm sure others of you are kind of sad, like, oh, man, it's already over. You know, I had friends or family that came to visit, and it was really great to see them, and, and now they've left, and they've gone back home, and, and there might even be some, some sadness in your soul this week as, as the holidays are behind us. But life can be so interesting, at least to me it is, is when I, I think about some of these realities and what I find is sometimes I expect too much. You think, you know, expect too much from what? I expect too much from what this world has to offer. And sometimes it just doesn't satisfy and, and we want to turn to things like even the holidays or things like vacationing or some people toys, electronics or people, or clothing, or your career, or you name it, and we turn to so many things that this world has to offer us, and, and we want to find a measure of satisfaction, of, of joy, and yet what happens is every time, it's like we're reaching for water, and we're just grabbing dust, and it's just not satisfying, and it's as if our soul is thirsty, and we're trying to quench this thirst, and Oftentimes, we turn to things of this world, and it just doesn't satisfy. That thirst is still there. And the reason why is that every single person, not just in this room, but on this planet, is thirsty. And so as we begin 2013, I ask a question. You see that in your notes. And the question for today's message, as we're preaching on this, is, are you thirsty? It's rhetorical because I already know the answer. The answer is yes, I know you're thirsty. That's why there's a bunch of bottles of water back there when you have your cookies or your biscuits later. Yet not only do you get thirsty physically, but there's a much deeper thirst in your soul that can't be quenched by some water. Your soul is thirsty. I think an even better question to pose is what are you most 
thirsty for? What is your soul truly thirsty for? And so as we begin this new year, we're going to look at Psalm 63, and we're going to look at what it means to truly be thirsty and to find that quenching living water. The only way to have your soul's thirst quenched is through Jesus of Nazareth, only through Jesus. And we're going to learn this as we read about a psalm, a poem that King David wrote many, many years ago. But as we launch into that, I want to give the main idea. This is the thought that will guide our conversation this morning. And in your notes, the blanks are that God created you to thirst for him. God created you to thirst for him. Those are your blanks. That's the point here is that you have been created with the thirst and it won't be satisfied with anything but God himself. Now, I want you to think just for a second. Just picture, just pretend with me, okay? Mental picture, you're going out into the ocean. I don't know, pretend you're deep sea fishing. And somehow a terrible storm hits and all of a sudden you're now, you find yourself floating out in the open sea with no radio, you're, you're in, a, in a life raft, and you have no fresh water, and, and the sun is just beating on you, and you have no shade, and you haven't drank water for a couple of days, and your throat is so dry that it is just painful to swallow, and you want to try to not swallow, but you can't stop the involuntary movement of your throat, and your mouth is so dry, your lips are cracked, you're falling in and out of consciousness. You're, you're floating out in a raft in the ocean, and it's hot, and it's miserable. And what do you think would be on your mind? Do you really think that you'd be thinking, oh, I need to get that new iPhone 5. I just, I have to get home because I had a deal going on to buy a vacation villa in the Far East. Oh, I have to go and get the new furnishings for my villa. Are you going to care about vacation homes or furniture or toys? You're going to have exactly one thing and only one thing that you're going to care about. And what do you think that is? Water. That's it. Nothing else would matter. At that point, nothing else matters. And I want you to keep that that mental picture in your mind as we approach Psalm 63 and being thirsty for God, that is a picture of your soul. Your soul is parched. Your soul is thirsty. And your soul was created to thirst for God. And so often we turn to other things. And we're going to look at that in the psalm. So as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63, as you turn there, I want to give you just briefly some context, okay? Just some history so you know what, what you're reading. If you've not read this psalm, what you might want to do later on this week is read in 2 Samuel chapter 15 because that is the chapter that describes the context in which King David wrote this poem in Psalm 63. In, in 2 Samuel 15, what you find is that King David is on the run. You're like, he's the king. Why is he on the run? Well, he's on the run He's fleeing. He's a fugitive. Why? Because his son Absalom wants to kill him. David's own son is trying to kill him to take the throne. And so David doesn't want to fight Absalom. He doesn't want to kill his own son. And so David flees. David leaves the palace. 
He's out in the wilderness, just like he was many years earlier, hiding from Saul, who was trying to kill him years later. Now David is the king, and once again he's on the run because now his own son wants him dead to take the throne that God gave to him. And so he's out there, and he is emotionally. Can you just picture the emotional pain of your son wanting you dead to take your throne? emotionally in agony. Physically, he's in the desert, so you know he's hot and he's thirsty. Spiritually, you read the psalm, he is just dry. But you're thinking this morning, man, that's kind of shocking. Like, I can't relate to that level of drama. You know, a king who's on, on, on the run because his son wants to kill him, and he's in agony in the desert, in the wilderness. You know, my drama is getting my kids to obey or not fight. Or if you're a new mom, my drama is changing 18 diapers in one day. Or for me, like, my, my drama is should I eat Weetabix or Cheerios for breakfast? You know, it's just the level of drama isn't quite as high for many of us as compared to the level of drama, if you will, of pain and anguish that King David is experiencing. But that isn't the point. Because the truth is, in your own way, in your life, you have pain, and you have disappointments, and you have discomfort. You have problems. We all have problems. I just, you know, newsflash. As the new year begins, your same problems from last year will probably carry on into 2012. I doubt your problems just magically disappear because it's a new year. We're all thirsty. Every one of us is thirsty, and so we need a fresh word from God. And maybe as you approach this new year, maybe you think, you know, I want this year to be different. I don't want the same old, same old of the, of the yesteryear. I truly want to experience transformation this year. I don't want the same old. And if that's you today, if what you truly want is something different, then what your soul is thirsty for is the very gospel itself. You are thirsty for Jesus, for him to transform you. So I ask that you would truly allow God's Spirit to speak to you this morning and allow him to change you. There are three truths in this passage. Again, Psalm 63. Let's read verse 1 and find the first one. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If you truly thirst for God, number one, you will desire God. So your first blank there. You will desire God. David here, who is in pain and discomfort and agony, is expressing that he desires God the most. He says, my soul thirsts for you. He says, oh God, you are my God. These are not the words of a stranger who knows about God. There are many people that want to approach God as a religious ritual. They want to go to church or whatever they might call it in their, in their tradition, and they just want to go and check off the boxes and, and just, just go through the motions and have their ritual. And they know a lot about God, but not David here. What you see is someone who knows God Personally, you are my God and my soul thirsts for you, my personal, intimate God. And he says that he is searching for God. He's looking for him. He says earnestly. 
that word refers to eagerly. It refers to diligently, not half-hearted. Many of us seek after God half-hearted. We seek after God on a Friday morning, maybe. But then that's it. Not David. In the middle of his pain, he is earnestly, diligent with all of his heart, seeking after God. In the middle of emotional and physical and spiritual pain, he is seeking after God. And verse 2 says, And so I have looked up upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. This is critical. In the middle of this anguish, he's not having a pity party. He's not saying, oh God, stop it. He's not crying. He's not whining at all. He is pouring out his heart. He's being honest. And oftentimes, we need to be more honest. We, we want to pretend and wear our mask. Everything is okay. And keep up the front so everyone is impressed with us. But on the inside, we're dying. And David is being honest with God. My soul is thirsty for you. But he's expressing that what he desires most is God himself, not what God can do for him. There's a big difference there. David's not thirsty for what God can do for him. He is thirsty for God himself. And he remembers, he's remembering being in the sanctuary, he's remembering being in the temple, worshiping God. And he's desiring God, but what exactly about God is he yearning after and desiring? He says, your power and glory. See, David has tasted the glory of God, and that has transformed him and is now sustaining him in the middle of this wilderness. You see, David understood something that we must understand, that God did not create us for ourselves. God did not create you for you. See, contrary to what our cultures tell us, and this transcends, I assure you, not just the Western culture, that we have been created for our own pleasure, and we actually believe that lie. We actually think that we exist for us. I, I should be happy and I shouldn't have any problems, and everything should go well for me all the time. And we pursue our pleasure with a vengeance, but David understands that he was created for the pleasure of God. He was created to please God, to recognize God's glory and his power and his majesty. God created you for himself. And that's the reason why so often we get very angry when things don't go right. When things go wrong, when we had planned for our lives and what we think should happen and how our lives, according to our own desires, we have it all planned out and then all of a sudden things don't work out, things don't go our way, and all of a sudden what do we do? We get angry. God, what are you doing? He says, well, I made you for me. I didn't make you for you. And so what's happening to you is for your best. It's better that that didn't go the way you wanted it to because now you're going to turn to me more and you're going to see my glory displayed in your life. But we prefer comfort over his glory. But not David. He understands Isaiah 43 and this morning Shirley, who was leading us in our prayer, read out of Isaiah 43. I, I didn't even tell her to. It's just God on her own prompted her to. In that same chapter, 
verses 6 and 7, the prophet says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. We were created for his glory, and David understands this. He's desiring the beauty of God more than his own comfort. You were created to recognize his beauty and to praise him and to desire him and were to be thirsty for him. That's why we exist. But maybe you're here thinking, okay, I really want this to be a different year. I, I really do want to be more thirsty for God than for anything else. I honestly do want to want God more than other things. But how do I know? What is the measuring stick? How do I gauge how well I'm doing? Well, there's a question there in your notes, a key question for this point. And that is, what do you sacrifice for? So what are you sacrificing for? You're like, well, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. And now I'm going to pick a God, a counterfeit God, an idol that is very common in our world, and that's the counterfeit God, the idol of comfort. Because all of us desire to bow down to this God and worship comfort. We all want comfort. And so if your main God, your idol is comfort, you're going to sacrifice for it. Well, how? Well, number one, you might sacrifice to get very expensive clothing. You might sacrifice to have a very expensive vehicle. You might sacrifice to have very expensive furnishings in your home. You may sacrifice to have some really nice vacations because your comfort and your, your, your leisure is most important to you. And so you will sacrifice whatever it takes to make sure that you are worshiping that idol of comfort. And both men and women can do this. How many men can be found either evenings or weekends, not home, not with their wives, not with their children. They're out in the golf course or out with their friends, and they're all just having fun, and the wife is home with the kids. Now, is it evil? Is it intrinsically wrong to go golfing? No, it's not wrong. But there has to be balance. And you have to check your heart and ask yourself, why do I feel this compulsion to go as often as I do? Check yourself. Ask God to reveal that to you. Could it be that your main idol is comfort? And you don't, you don't really want to be home. You don't want to be with your wife. You don't want to talk to your kids. You would rather be out experiencing your own comfort and leisure. But it's not just men, it's women too. How many hours do women spend on Facebook or reading romance novels? And they're not engaged with their husbands. They're not giving their hearts to their husbands. They're giving their hearts to romance novels or TV shows or Facebook. And their energy is wrapped up in other things. And all of a sudden, the marriage isn't working out so well. And the kids aren't responding so well. And it's because both husband and wife have given their hearts to this idol of comfort. So, but the root is desiring God. When we desire God more than comfort, when we desire God more than anything else, everything else falls into place, including in your marriage and as a parent. It all flows from there. Desiring God is most important, first and foremost. Do not allow the pressures and disappointments of this life to cause you to say, I just need some relief. I just need relief from the pressures of work or of being a mother or the pressures of life. 
And so I'm going to turn to this little pet comfort of mine. And I know that it's evil. I know that it's not good for me. I know that I shouldn't do that, but I just need relief. And so we, we turn to counterfeit gods, all under the guise of entertainment or of comfort or of leisure, but in the end, we know in our hearts that it's idolatry. David turned to God. Turn to Jesus, not to anything else. Let him be your relief. Let him be your comfort. The more time that you spend with him, the more you grow in your love for Jesus, the more that you will find yourself sacrificing for God and not for other things. So the more you desire him, the more that you'll find yourself wanting to sacrifice for him and not for anything else. And so you're thinking, well, how does this work in the life of the church? Well, I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about using your gifts and your talents to bless others and not be selfish. We had a beautiful seven-year-old this morning that played the piano for us, and she was using her gifts for the kingdom, using her gifts for God's glory. And the question is, do you do the same? Do you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, everything about who you are, how God has made you, do you use it for yourself or do you use it for God's glory? And so basically serving God quite simply is serving other people in God's name. That's what it is. And so if you notice in your bulletin when you came in, you received a sign-up sheet that looks like this. It says, Serving Opportunities. If you're here today and you don't have a ministry, you don't have an outlet to influence others for Jesus, then I want to encourage you to fill out the form. And it's okay while I'm talking. It's okay if you fill it out. You know, it doesn't offend me. Fill it out. Find a ministry, find a way to really influence for Christ, to sacrifice for him, to serve others, and you will experience the joy that comes with worshiping him as you serve him. So this is not about duty, this is about worship. This is about you desiring God more and saying, I desire to demonstrate that I love Jesus more, and so I desire to serve. And there are many opportunities, as I drop the papers. You notice that there's a worship team. If you have talent musically, I encourage you to sign up. We could use your vocals or your talent to play an instrument. If, if you like databases, if you like websites, if you like designing things, we, we can use your help with the communications team. If, if you like, I don't know what I can do, we'll come early and help set up the chairs and tables and sound system. If you love children, let me tell you, when I got here, we had 12 to 15 kids total in May. Now we have over 50 that are in the side shisha rooms, not even to mention a few kids that don't even go in because they're still young. Our, our kids' ministry has just exploded in the last six months, yet our volunteers has grown, but not at the same rate that our children's attendance has grown. Could it be that God has you to serve and invest with our children? And by the way, that does include men, not just women. And it, this can be for anyone. And, and there's a rotation. It's not every week. I want you to know that this is a rotation. It's organized with Bonnie and Nikki and Altoria helping them with that. I encourage you to sign up and serve God. If you fill out that form, you can drop it up on the back table with our welcome team. And so the first point here is if we're really thirsty for God, we'll desire him, we'll sacrifice for him. Secondly, is if you truly thirst for God, you will delight in God. So number two is delight. So first one is desire. Number two is delight. Let's read verses three through five. 
because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This language is incredible. God has steadfast love that's better than life itself. And he says, I will bless you, God. I will serve you. I will live for you as long as I live. My soul will be satisfied, he says. Satisfied with you alone, God. And my mouth will praise you with joy, with joyful lips. I'm going to be delighting in God. Remember the circumstances. It was miserable. It was not going well for David. He wasn't saying these things that I love you and, and you're worth it and you're better than life and, I, and you satisfy me. David was saying this when his son wants to kill him and take the throne away. He's on the run in the desert. Life is miserable for David and yet you hear him say this. You know, we sang some lyrics a little while ago that it's a beautiful melody, but did you stop and actually listen to what you were singing? To be honest with you, I have a hard time with that song because I'm selfish. It says, blessed be your name, you give and take away. Blessed be your name. Do you believe that? You, you sang it. Do you, do you really say, God, I love you, bless you, you're worth it, when you give me good things and when you take good things away, blessed be your name. It's powerful. Those are words of Job, by the way. That's where that came from. You see, what we're saying here is delighting in God even when it's hard, even when it's incredibly difficult. The problem with our hearts is that we yearn for religious experiences more than for God himself. What our heart craves the most is idols, if we're very honest with ourselves. And we want to give our hearts to our idols. We want to give our hearts to other things other than to God and live for our own pleasure. But do you know what happens to us when we live for our own pleasure? You become enslaved. You become enslaved to those idols. You become enslaved to sinfulness and all kinds of evil. And then what happens is we lose our joy. Because you cannot be enslaved to habitual patterns of sin and delight in God. You can't do it. It's not possible. There is no way that you're going to be delighting in God and at the same time maintain a habitual pattern of sinfulness. Now, we all sin. I'm not denying that. Every one of us has sinned until Christ returns and glorifies us completely. We're going to sin, but there is a difference with sinning and living in a habitual pattern of continual sin that's unrepentant. You will not experience God's joy. If that's how you're living, if you don't have integrity in your life, you will not have joy. If you're not content with what God has given you, you won't have joy. If you're not content with who your husband or wife is, with what car you drive or where you live or how much money you make, you're not going to have joy. You have to desire God and delight in Him, not in our idols. Verse 5 is amazing. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The only way that anyone can truly say this, that we are satisfied and will praise God with joy is because of the very gospel itself. 
only because we know that we are sinners and Jesus came and died on the cross in our place as a perfect substitute, as our sacrifice, but he was resurrected to the glory of God on the first Easter Sunday. And he is alive today and he desires to transform you so that you can then say, my soul will be satisfied and I will praise you with joy. If you want to say that and really mean it, not just say in a Friday morning, but really say, my soul is satisfied in you and I will sing your praises with joyful lips. The only way that is possible is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has made it possible. But we must respond with faith and repentance. We must respond with turning away from our sin and saying, Jesus, I trust you. And I put all of my burdens in my and my failings at your feet, you take them, you change them, you change me. And so the key question for you to think about here is, what gives you the greatest joy? Stay in your notes. What gives you the greatest joy in your life? When you're sad, when you're down, when you're struggling, when you're depressed, when life isn't always going your way, even if it's not catastrophe, even if it's just at work, your boss was mean to you, or someone forgot something, or it's just, you know, you just, oh, you get frustrated. Well, whenever you're down, what do you turn to for joy? Where do you turn to for comfort? Whatever it is that you turn to, that is your idol. May it be Jesus, because he's not a counterfeit. He's a real thing. Is Jesus enough? Really? Is he enough? Verse 6. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And so he's praising God and he's remembering and he's meditating. You see, David cultivated a heart for God that desired him above all else because he was doing this. He was spending time with God. He was meditating on God. The key here is prayer. And as we launch into this new year, it's very important that we have lives of prayer that we spend time reading, meditating, and praying, of communing with God, because that's the only way to really be transformed. And there's a young man in our church named Romel Cadell, received Christ not long ago. He was baptized all of a few weeks ago, the first one that I've had the privilege of, of doing here at ECC Off Island. And he's been transformed by God, and he wants to come up here this morning, and Romel wants to share his story with you. He wants to share of how God has changed him and how he's a new person and how he desires God above all. Romel? Come on up, brother. Okay, good morning. Uh, good morning, church. Thank you for allowing me to share my testimony. So, I was raised in a Catholic family. Then we are praying in the front of a statue uh, made of stone engraved by human and actively participating of the church activities like Holy Week and Holy Rosary. But I never felt the presence of God. We are worshiping in front of the statue, but the presence of God is not there. Even before I accept Jesus as my Savior, but I never fully understood about him. When I came here in Abu Dhabi as visit visa, 
My aunt invited me here in the city of Ireland. So I enjoyed the fellowship and the gospel preached by the pastor because you are connected to the people and influenced by God's words. Then I'm becoming thirsty of Jesus. I'm becoming of more thirsty of God's words. So I started listening worship song, reading the Bible, and reading Christian books. Over a few, over the next few months, I decided to be baptized here in my faith family. God opened my eyes that He is nothing without Him. There is a one message that I really struck into my heart, the living of legacy. Through this, I came to realize that uh, every, every, every Sunday and Friday is not enough to come into the church. You need to, him, you need to serve sacrificially, valuing Him, and most of all, serve to Him. As of now, I'm looking for my ministry where I can serve Jesus, where I can serve to Him. Basically, I really convicted. I was a sinner, and Jesus died for me. Died for my salvation. He came and rescued me. He saved my soul. God is always perfect on timing and wait patiently for Him because God answered our prayer. I'm struggling for all, almost eight months because before my visa will be expired, I received a call from one of my, com from, from my company five days before my visa expired and then I pray to the I pray to the God. I pray that uh, that Lord, this job is for you. I offer this for you. Be with me during my interview. Then during my interview, I thought it's like one-on-one -on -one interview, but it's a panel interview. Then the only question is. When do you want to join? Only that one. So, on that time, I feel the presence of God. Because I prayed to Him, Lord, be with me during my interview. I really believe in this verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The plans I have for you are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I really live in the spirit and love of God. I'm becoming stronger to Jesus. Remember that believing is the same as receiving. Thank you, Lord, because you changed my Lord for the better. You cleansed my name and brought me back into the baptism. Thank you, Lord, 
Thank you, thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, that he died for me. Thank you for this church, because I found you. Thank you for those who prayed for me. Thank you for those who God sent into my life, who take care of me and love of me. Thank you, Lord, because I found you. Romel is the living testimony of the gospel, which is the power of God to save all those who believe. And so I am inspired and blessed every single time that I see many people, including Romel, that have received Christ and been transformed by it. But you heard that he was seeking and he was praying and he was reading and he was pursuing Christ. And then God, of course, changed him. And as a church, that's what we're about. We're about the gospel. And so we are a gospel-centered church. That's what we care about. That's what we do is proclaim the gospel and see lives changed. And for me, it's addicting. Like, I want one more hymn. I want one more changed person. I want to see one more person changed by the gospel. And I just can't get enough of it. And I hope that you have that same insatiable desire. And because the gospel is what we're about as a church, Later this month, we're launching a study called The Gospel Project. The Gospel Project is a church-wide curriculum that we're going to use at every level of our Bible studies. And so we're going to have our two-year-olds, our, our preschoolers, learning about The Gospel Project. We're going to have our school age. We're going to have our youth, including our adults and our home groups. Every single level from two-year-olds all the way up to adults are partaking in this church-wide study called the Gospel Project. And it's a powerful study that is designed to help you see the gospel of Christ from Genesis to Revelation and finding yourself in God's story and how that's going to change you and, I believe, the life of our church. And so the reason why we're doing all of this together is what my vision is to see moms and dads sitting at lunch or over dinner talking to their children, the TV turned off, but the family talking, and the father saying, so what did you study in kids' church? And the answer is the same thing that you studied in your home group. It's the same text. Now, it'll, of course, be on the level of a child or a youth or an adult, but it's the same passage. And so it'll create unity within the families, and it'll create conversation opportunities for, for dinner table and driving in the car and it will create a sense of unity as a church. We're all headed in the same direction. And so if you're not involved in a home group, you're going to miss out. To be very frank with you, you're going to miss out if you're not in a home group. Which is why you'll notice in your bulletin there's also a sign-up sheet for home groups. They launch on January 25th when we launch this new church-wide curriculum. Now your children and your youth will experience it on Friday mornings automatically. But as an adult, if you're to be a part of it, you have to join a home group. We want you to delight in and desire Christ, but you must do it in community. And so I encourage you to please fill out that form, and we'll call you this week. All right, let's do the last few verses before our morning expires. All right, verses 7 through 11, and we'll wrap up. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. 
but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now, in these verses, he uses very poetic language describing those that are opposing him and describing his dependence on God. So that's the third truth is if you're thirsty for God, you will depend on Him. And so you will desire, delight, and now depend on God. He says that he is clinging to God. This is really interesting. Verse 8, my soul clings to you, and he says, your right hand holds me up. And so who's holding on to whom? Is David holding on to God, or is God holding on to him? The answer is yes. David is clinging to God. He's using his faith. He is depending on God with all of his heart. Yet he knows that God is sovereign and he is depending upon, he is trusting God that God is good. Even when he can't see how it's going to end, even though he doesn't know how this story is going to end, he is trusting. He is depending on God who is holding him up. In verse 11, he says, All who swear by him shall be exalted. This language of swearing, he's just talking about absolute trust. You can bank on it without doubting it. You can depend on God. Now, it's easy to say, I depend on God. But here's your key question as, as we close. What do you trust in for your security? That's a key question. When you're worried, what do you turn to? Now, that applies to you individually, and it applies to us as a church. Look, let's just be honest. Let's just be really honest. We live in a Muslim country. We live in what's called the 1040 window that is open to Christianity more so than other countries on a certain level. But let's just be honest. All it takes is one person walking in here complaining, and we're done. That's all it would take. And you'd show up on a Friday, and I'd be out there saying, we're going to meet somewhere else today. That could happen. I don't know where that else would be. I don't know, but I can tell you this. Nothing is guaranteed to us. Nothing. We don't own a building. We don't own the zoo. We're very thankful for it. We're very thankful that the zoo is gracious and allows us to rent and congregate here. And it is an absolute privilege. And I love meeting here. I don't love the rats, but I love meeting here. But we're not guaranteed anything for this church or in our lives. And so what if it gets hard? What if the political winds shift? And what if all of a sudden it's not welcoming? And what if all of a sudden we don't have the zoo to meet in? What if all of a sudden it's not so easy? Are we going to run and hide? Or are we going to trust in God, that he is bigger and his glory is enough and he has a plan and we have the privilege of being the ambassadors to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That is what we're about and we just don't know what the future holds. Yet I trust God. I depend on him because there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to depend in. And I'm telling you that I'm here even if it gets hard individually or as a church. And I'm praying that we're a church that really understands this 
that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are in a spiritual war, and there are real casualties, but we have Jesus, we have his spirit, and the gates of hell will not prevail, and so we are storming the gates of hell with the power of the spirit, and we will accomplish our mission, and we will plant more churches, and we will see more people receive Christ, not just from Mel and others, but more. Because that's why we're here. We exist for God's glory, not for our own or for our own comfort. And so we will truly delight in God. We will desire him and we will depend on him as individuals and as a church. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nothing else worth living for. And so as we start this new year, I, I kind of ask, are you in? Are, are, you, are you in? I hope so. I know you're here on a Friday and I'm thankful for that. But, but we're just getting started, EC Off Island. I've been for seven months, and there's a lot of work to be done. And so I pray that you're on board to see it done. I'm going to ask you in this moment to just kind of close your eyes just for a moment and just kind of bow your heads and just have a moment of quiet and of solitude. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up to the front. And so as they take their places, don't be too distracted by that. I'm asking if Jesus is enough. It really isn't a wonder. It's not really a surprise that in John chapter 4, Jesus says that he is living water. Only he can satisfy. If you are here and you know that you've never received Christ as your Lord, as your Master, as your Savior, and you desire to repent of your sins and turn to him, then you can ask him now to save you. And if you are asking God today to save you, I would ask that you would go to the back table, fill out a welcome card so that I can contact you this week and we can meet and I can encourage you in your journey. If you are a believer, then I would just ask for you to just contemplate and evaluate. Where do you turn to for your comfort and what truly satisfies you this morning? and in your life. Jesus, we confess that you are enough. We need you and nothing else. We need you, Jesus. We need you. We're so thirsty for you. Forgive us for being thirsty for other things. Forgive us for our idols. Forgive us for turning to other things to satisfy us when you, Jesus, are living water. Help us to truly desire you. Help us to delight in you and help us to depend on you as a church and as individuals. Help us to be a church that is pure, a church that maintains unity, a church that multiplies for your glory. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for Psalm 63. That is such a challenge and such an encouragement at the same time. Thank you, Father. We love you and we thank you that you have showered your love upon us. Bless us in 2013 as we pursue you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.